And we are back. Hi, everybody. As we continue our march through Thursday, so very, very glad that you guys are with us. Hang in there. The cold weather for another couple of days. Next week, it's going to be up in the 40s. So all that white stuff you're dealing with out there, it's going to go away. Well, something that we want to deal with, we deal with him every Thursday on this program and then listen to him every Saturday from 9 to 10 on Wobo's Health Call Live. It's our resident medical expert, Lee Kelso. Lee, happy Thursday afternoon to you, sir. Well, good afternoon, Pat. I am so glad to think about less white in my life. That's a good thing. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and, and and as I figured it was going to happen, the white right now is not giving me as much trouble as that clear, slick stuff that's under the white. That's what's giving me the problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Lee, uh, you have another hour of packed information for Saturday, and people do need to turn in. You need to talk to me. I, I don't know anything about either of your guests, but something about Dr. George's Benjamin, and you say he's got an analysis on mass shooting. Well, you can imagine how long mass shooting shows up on my program. Give me some of what Dr. Benjamin's going to tell us. Well, this is all based on a new report that just came out from the National Threat Assessment Center. The report is called Mass Attacks in Public Spaces. And the idea was to take a look at what do we know about the shooters? What do they have in common? What drives them? And understand all of those facts, details, and data analysis of 173 mass shootings. Wow. Um, mass attacks in public spaces. That's a book, a study, an article? A study, right. Yeah, 50-page okay. article, 50-page study, and, and I'll have it available as a download on the Health Call website. Oh, perfect, because I'm going to want to read that. Um, so they checked out 173 mass shootings, and it is an analysis, according to your notes to me, about who they are and what drives them. We seem to be able oftentimes, after a couple of days of a news cycle, to come up with the answer to the first one. We rarely truly come up with the second one. Yeah, so what we found is there are many different triggers and motivators, but there are some common factors. People who are around these people are concerned about them or in fear of them. They have noticed a change in behavior, and they are concerned. And this concern sometimes can be short-term, but more often they've known something's going on for a year or more. Many of these attackers have a history of being physically aggressive or having intimidating bullying behavior, and half of them, this report says, are motivated by grievances. So they're retaliating for something that they perceived as being unfair or wrong to them, and that can be personal, domestic, or often a workplace issue. They've been demoted, they've been suspended, they've been fired, or something else has gone on that triggered them. They were served with a legal notice. They were evicted, suspended from school. And those triggers can happen sometimes very close to the event itself, sometimes that day or within the week prior to that. You know, uh, it, it was five years ago, almost, well, it'll be five years ago, I think, I think on Valentine's Day, Stoneman Douglas High School, the school down in Florida. And I remember Nicholas Cruz was a 19-year-old, and he opened fire, and he either was a senior or he had just graduated, I don't recall which, but they talked about the fact that when they found writings uh, in his room, uh, it was probably about a year to a year and a half of stuff building up in his life that eventually there was something the day of that made him snap. That fits right into what you're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is really interesting 
they do often, these shooters do often have some form of communication that's either left behind or sent to other people. Somehow they communicate an intention, a desire, or something like that. And one of the central themes here is we've got to take that stuff seriously. And, and Dr. Uh, Georges, uh, Benjamin Georges, Georges Benjamin uh, says, um, when we are looking at somebody who concerns us, we think there's potential, we know something's just not right. He says we've got to speak up and keep talking until somebody listens. Don't give up, because if you do, you're missing an opportunity to prevent violence. You know, mental illness is such a broad thing, and it's 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 kind of like an amoeba. It's kind of like a liquid spilled on a tabletop. It's everywhere all the time, and you don't know which part of it is the worst part. And, and some people don't even want to talk about it. But are they finding that there's a, just a really large percentage, based on these 173 mass shootings, that some level of mental illness is showing up an awful lot? Yeah, it sure does. 58% have some form of mental illness. So a large percentage, the other half of those folks, have no official diagnosis, no clinical history. Psychosis itself is very rare. So actually being totally crazy or psychotic, that's very unusual. These are people who are emotionally disturbed. And only about 25%, as much as we hear about, uh, you, know, the, 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 you know, the angry white guy, yeah. uh, only about 25% are driven by some form of ideology and a government, and a semantic, uh, misogynistic, something racist. That's a small percentage. And so, you know, it, there's, this report is interesting to read. But there's no aha moment. There's no overriding suggestion about how do we prevent these things from happening in a public place. Most of them happen in a workplace that somehow the shooter was associated with. That's the largest percentage. See, and and, and with that, um, that's the frustrating part to me. I mean, and it's it's probably humanly impossible. I want somebody like Dr. Benjamin to go, we we found it. Here it is. If we see this, do this, and then the shooting isn't going to happen. But like you said, there's no aha here. We can't get to the end yeah. of it. And, and because of that, then the right ends up blaming the left. The Republicans blame the Democrats. The Christians blame, you know, the non-Christians. It, it's, and it, it just becomes now we take ideologies and we try to apply an ideology to a shooting and then make it a cause for another political fight. And so that's, you know, your point is, is very valid. And again, that's why uh, Dr. Benjamin says, in the workplace, if somebody makes you nervous, speak up, tell your supervisor. If they don't act, go to HR, take a written complaint. If they don't take action, reach out to the police. You're likely to hear, well, has he done anything? You know, has he made a specific threat? Yeah. This report points out that if we wait for a specific threat, against an individual or associated with the timeline or something like that, it's too late. And so we all need to get ourselves dialed into the fact that we have to be vocal and persistent and keep pushing forward. Folks, you know that every week we end up talking about guns or shooting, at least in one segment each week. This is going to be a health approach to what's going on. Uh, Dr. Georges Benjamin and his American Public Health Association findings on mass shootings. They looked at 173 of them. Lee will talk to him in the first half hour from 9 to 9.30. 
on Health Call Live this Saturday. The second half, uh, you talk about a different kind of death, and I find this really intriguing. Anthony DiGiorgio, a neurosurgeon, and he's talking to you about death by a 10,000 clicks. Yeah, this is, this is interesting. So, you know, I read a bajillion studies, reports, medical newsletters all every week, and um, came across this, this uh, opinion piece called Death by 10,000 Clicks, and it's this doctor writing about electronic medical record systems and what they put doctors through. So he is a, uh, uh, at the University of California, San Francisco Hospital, and his residents, the doctors in training, they took a look at how much time do these people spend logged in actively using a electronic medical record system. And out of a 24-hour shift in the hospital, they are actively using the system for nine hours. Oh, my word. Nine hours? And nine hours. So the idea here is uh, these docs have to click and click and click through this and click through that and enter here and click here and go there. And it's, he says, creating a lot of burnout and taking time away from patients. Goodness. I mean, so, so when you talk to somebody, so where did you get your bachelor's? Where'd you get your master's? Where'd you get your doctorate? Where did you do your internship? And where did you get your certificate on clicking? I mean, because it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, tell me something else that they're doing in a working day, even if they pull a 12-hour day at the hospital or in their office, if eight to nine hours is spent entering all this stuff and clicking and everything, that's double at least what they're spending in a medical uh, capacity. So that's in a hospital setting with a neurosurgeon who has a pretty narrow focus, right? Mm-hmm. Bring that out into primary care or being an internist, and the load goes up. And now they're saying that a lot of docs take home work and finish this up after hours. They call it pajama time. And so this is time they're not paid for. And one of the things that they that uh, Dr. DiGiorgio says is really driving this, the whole idea behind electronic medical records was to gather more data and improve the quality of care and being able to track and measure and all that kind of stuff. But he said what it's come down to is billing. It is all about getting the highest level of reimbursement for insurance, making sure that you use the right language so you can bill at the higher rate for things. Now, um, now, now, he's a specialist in the hospital, but it just brings me to mind with your good doctor friend who has begun that practice where people pay a fee and just join his group, and he just deals with everything with them directly, and they don't worry about insurance, and they don't worry about billing, and they don't worry about all that. That is amazing to me, and I can understand why there's a big call for that. But when you get a guy like, like, like this doctor, Dr. DiGiorgio, who's a neurosurgeon in a hospital, he's stuck. He's stuck. Yeah, and, you know, I asked that question. So if I just want to be Marcus Welby, I want to be in private practice. I don't want to associate myself with some big, you know, I want to be an employee of a hospital group. What does this mean? And he said, well, it means you really have to find a way to afford this electronic medical records because you've got to have it. Yep. And and then if, if I'm scheduling myself, and most of them do, see 15 minutes per patient, that's why when you're in the exam room, the doctor is sitting there entering stuff in the computer so that he doesn't have to do it later after hours 
or at, you know, in pajama time. Yeah. So, so, and some people would say, well, if he takes it home and he does it at home, what do I care? Well, I care. I don't want a guy going home and spending all of his time doing this because I have a better doctor if he goes home and he lets his hair down and he's spending some time with his wife and his kids and he's relaxing. He'll be a better doctor the next day. If he goes home and does four hours of clicking at home, that doesn't make him a better doctor for me. And you know what was really interesting, Pat, is the comments that uh, there were 53, as of today, 53 people replied and posted comments to this article. And many of them were doctors saying, you know, this is why I'm going to retire early. I'm wow. sick of this. Wow. Eat up my day. And we're looking at, you know, you and I are kind of old guys. Hey, hey, we're hey, looking hey. At, <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at uh, a physician shortage in the next 10 to 15 years when we're going to need doctors the most. Yep. And yep. This, this is driving a lot of the older guys who don't like dealing with this stuff. They're, they're getting out of the business, and you can just see it in the comments from people. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's going to be a, a very interesting comment, and, and, and it's going to be a great segment on your program. Two different ways with two different kinds of killings. One of them is mass shootings, who's doing it and why. And uh, we're going to talk to somebody that had a pretty good survey done on that. And then what's killing doctors in their practices and maybe making them not as good physicians. And it's because they're fried because they're clicking their practice away. And Lee, they're also clicking away a lot of their time with patients. Yeah, you know, Pat, I didn't put the two things together. We're, we're, we're killing them on both sides of that. See, that's why you make the big bucks. That's <laughs> why you're the big guy. Okay, yeah. In fact, I need to hire you to start doing my clicking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, thanks so much. Listen, we're going to tune in uh, Saturday, as we do every week, uh, from 9 to 10 for Wobo's Health Call Live, and especially this Saturday. Two great segments, and I'm sure it's going to be awesome. But uh, we'll see you then. Thank you, my good friend. Hey, thank you. And remember, guys, if you can't make it Saturday morning, life's busy, I know. We're always available in the podcast. Just go to the WoWo website, and you'll find it listed there. There you go. Thanks, Lee. Adios. Podcasts by Federated Media.